is this really going to last? Does this really matter? Does this really have eternal consequences? Like, what really is the goal? And the goal is heaven. The goal is relationship with Jesus Christ, born out here in this in this life and in this world, so it can bear fruit in a relationship with him perfectly in heaven for all eternity. Hello, everyone. I am so excited. There is a friend of mine, and she just had twin daughters. They are so adorable. But this really funny, interesting thing happened. Um, She wanted to name them both Anna. She couldn't choose another name. And she's a drummer, so she just named them Anna 1, Anna 2. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 145. That's a dad joke for you if it's your first time joining us. Hope you enjoyed it and it brought you some joy. And if it is your first time, please make sure you rate and review this podcast. It helps others find it. The best way that you can share this podcast is by word of mouth and on social media. And if you do so, please tag us at Man of Food for Thought on Instagram. You can find all of our other social media infos, handles, previous content, all on our website, manafoodforthought.com, all spelled out. So please visit that, contact us. And while you're there, if you've never done so, click on the Patreon tab and see all the ways you can support us financially for even as little as $1 a month and become a patron because this podcast does have expenses and it helps to keep it on the air. And if you're a patron, patrons get perks. And so thank you for all of the patrons, all of you who support the podcast for listening. Welcome back or welcome if it's your first time. Let's get into our joy, junk, and Jesus. So My joy this past week, a few things. Uh, I ran a 6.30 mile, and uh, it's the fastest I've run a mile since my senior year of high school. I ran a 6.06 mile my senior year of high school, and I'm trying to work my way back down to that. So I shaved off 20 seconds from the last time I timed myself, which is a lot. So I think I can can get pretty close, if not beat, that old time. So we'll see. Uh, Stay tuned. And uh, this past week, I had my first ever father-daughter dance at my daughter's school, and it was just so awesome. She dressed up like Rapunzel. Um, I told her she could wear whatever she wanted, <laughs> and so, and I got all dressed up, and we just had a great time. So that was really beautiful. Uh, my junk is that Hannah and her best friend were supposed to start a ballet class this week through the city, kind of a community class, and it got canceled because of low enrollment, which was a huge bummer. Um, This past week was also the five-year anniversary of when we lost our um, first child to miscarriage, Lily, and so that's always difficult remembering that and trying to stay grateful for the family that we do have in those moments. Um, we, We have three uh, children in heaven, uh, all from, you know, different experiences. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, hard sometimes to reflect on that and, and see our family, not for who's missing, but for, for who we still have and be grateful for that. And so if you've experienced that too, I'm sure you can, can relate. Um, anyway, that, so that was, uh, some of the junk. And then my Jesus moments were, um, the, the real big one happened yesterday as I'm recording this yesterday. Um, I rewired all of the lights in the youth room at our church. And it's been a project that, you know, I've been trying to get done for the the past month or so until we got all the hardware and I had some time. But, um, I know that doesn't seem like a real Jesus moment, but like, I just, I really love working with my hands, building things, fixing things, repairing things. I've always loved that since I was a kid. Um, I've always had kind of an engineer mindset. Like I love taking things apart, putting them back together, figuring out how things work. And I don't know, when I do that, I just feel like I can really zone out of everything else, like not worry, not stress, not be anxious, kind of let time go by 
and it's, it goes into that like Kairos kind of divine sense of time instead of that Chronos chronological time that we're all stuck in. And last night at Bible study, Noah, one of the young men who, uh, who came, he uh, was just sharing about the phrase in this upcoming Sunday's gospel from Matthew 4, verse 19, where it says, Jesus says, come after me, I will make you fishers of men. And he commented the fact that like, um, how there they're fishing and how James and John shortly thereafter, they're repairing their nets and Jesus calls them and he builds on the nature of their gift. Kind of this grace builds on nature uh, thing that we have a lot in theology and philosophy, that grace builds on nature. And, and my nature is like to be, you know, a fixer, to do these things, to get my hands dirty. And I feel like when I can really lean into that, it, it allows this kind of conduit or door to open to God that, I, I don't know, that doesn't open other times when I'm just sitting in prayer or even when I'm really focused in prayer or in ministry. There's just something about it when I'm like getting my hands dirty, fixing the house, doing electrical, you know, work, building something, gardening, you know, these very, even cooking sometimes, these very kind of focused, regimented, you know, figuring out how to engineer this properly to produce a fruitful result, um, I feel like that's something that that God blesses me with and I hope blesses others. So, yeah, it just was a really cool way to experience Jesus this past week. So I don't know if that inspires anything in you um, and how you might be able to better experience Jesus as you allow his grace to build upon the things you are naturally inclined to do, naturally good at, that you're naturally drawn toward. But be who God created you to be. Um, and you will change the world. You will set the world ablaze, as uh, I think St. Catherine of Siena said. So anyway, let's get into our second reading for this upcoming Sunday, as all of our podcasts uh, on Saturdays are based kind of on that upcoming reading. So this comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and it's verses 10 through 13 and verse 17. And, you know, a couple little lines in this stood out to me. I'm going to read it, and then I'll kind of draw those lines out. So this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth, which is experiencing a lot of division, a lot of corruption, a lot of difficulty with pagan worship and sexual immorality. But this is just from the beginning portion, like the, the address, the intro of the letter. So Paul writes this. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you but that you be united in the same mind and in the same purpose. For it has been reported to me about you, my brothers and sisters, by Chloe's people, that there are rivalries among you. I mean that each of you is saying, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with the wisdom of human eloquence, so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its meaning. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What really stood out to me in this was this, this, this concept of division and like how Paul is like trying to recenter everyone on like the main goal, the main purpose. Like keep your eye on the fact that this is all about Jesus and Jesus does not divide, he unifies. So when we come to follow Jesus, when we come to share Jesus with others, it's not by our own gifts or so that we can stand in his way, but so that we can pave the way for him, not to bring division or sow seeds of discord, but so that we will bring people together, that we will be united in the same mind and in the same purpose, as this reading says. I love that. And it just reminded me of, you know, sometimes the arguments and debates we get in about faith, sometimes the theological difficulties we have, the difficult conversations we have, arguments even with family or friends about religion or with God. And 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 it just reminded me, like, to encourage you and, and hopefully recenter you on the fact, like, remember the goal. 
Remember the goal is Christ came to die for our sins and to bring unity and reconciliation to all people. Christ didn't come and die so that you could have a theological debate. And if you win, like, you know, great or whatever. But like, like to remember the core message. I get so like when these things come up, like these conversations come up or I see these like things in the media, whether secular or religious media, these these divisions happen uh, between, you know, culture and religion or within religion itself. And I just sometimes ask the question, like, do we even have time for this? Like, do we even like like literally we could die any day. The second coming of Jesus could happen tomorrow or right now. Like, is this worth is this a hill worth dying on? Like. Is this really so crucial, central, consequential to our faith and our salvation that we have to hash this out now or we have to determine who's right or wrong about this? And most of it, no. You know, I feel I have this mentality sometimes when I go to Costco. Like Costco, you get these like 200 packs of certain things. And honestly, I've been at Costco sometimes and I've looked at some things. And unless I have to buy in bulk for something, if I'm just buying personally, I'll look at these items and be like, am I going to live long enough to use all of this? <laughs> like, I just, it's so much, you know, uh, and it's just so like over the top. And I think sometimes these arguments are so much so over the top that it's like, is this really like, is this really going to last? Does this really matter? Does this really have eternal consequences? Like what really is the goal? And the goal is heaven. The goal is relationship with Jesus Christ born out here in this, in this life and in this world so it can bear fruit in a relationship with him perfectly in heaven for all eternity. That's the goal. He does not want to bring division. Now I know it says you might be remembering this, this very difficult passage in Luke chapter 12, verse 49, where Jesus says, and he says, I've come to set the earth on fire and how I wish it were already blazing. There's a baptism with which I must be baptized and how great my anguish is until it is completed. Do you think that I have come to establish peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, a household of five will be divided, three against two and two against three. And it goes on all these different divisions. And we think that doesn't sound very Jesus-y, does it? And it's not that Jesus wants to sow discord here. He's not saying that, you know, like there's never going to be division. What Paul is saying, like within the church, within the realm of believers, we should be united. But what Jesus means here in the gospel is saying, like, look, this demands a response. You have to decide, do you believe I'm the Messiah or not? And are you going to live that way or not? And other people in your family and in your life may choose differently. And that will bring division because everyone has to make a choice. It's that fundamental, that important, that super extra consequential of a decision that every single person has to make throughout their life. But once we've made that decision, if we want to pursue Jesus to be unified in that decision and not let these trivial things come between us. You know, I, I was reflect, I was listening to a, a podcast. Someone was giving a talk, uh, father John Ricardo about, um, you know, when you're, you're planning things like as, as a parish staff or as a team or in ministry, and, you know, he's talking about like the normal stuff, like, okay, what is the goal? What is the main, you know, kind of, uh, you know, um, purpose that we have? But then he said, now, when you're thinking about this, then a question you have to ask is, um, we have to think from the perspective of the devil. What will the devil try and do, or might the devil try and do to exploit this or prevent this from happening? Like, what's the devil's goal in this pursuit of this project or this thing? And I found that very poignant because once you can identify those things, you can prepare yourself for them. And I think the same thing is true just in the overall spiritual life. Like 
in terms of the grand scheme of the plan of salvation history and the role of the church, like what is the devil's main goal? Well, he wants to sow seeds of discord and make us lose confidence in one another, in the church, in being unified in the body of Christ and get us caught up in trivial issues or liturgical differences or things that don't matter in terms of our salvation. It does not matter how you go to mass, how you receive communion on the hand or in the tongue in terms of whether or not you're going to get to heaven. It makes zero difference. Zero. And so, yeah, it might be fruitful conversation between people who are both willing and seeking to understand one another to have these dialogues and what it means to properly worship God. But when we get so heated and so divided, it's just like, is this really the point? Do I even have time for this? And I, I think it just, it, it was very inspiring to me to then like, just be reminded of the opposite of that. Like what's essential? Like what is essential? And if I keep that in mind in everything that I do, everything I say, every choice, every conversation or debate, if I always have that in the front of my mind, that as Paul writes, that desire to be united in the same mind and in the same purpose. And that is that Christ died for us and that we have the opportunity to experience salvation and heaven if we turn away from our sin and receive that gift of salvation. Like the, the core gospel message, if I keep that in the front of my mind, then all these other trivial potential divisions will just fade away. Like Paul says this, like, was I crucified for you? Was Paul crucified for you? Like, is this really what it was about? Like, you know, was Jesus crucified because of liturgical differences? So, you know, was Jesus crucified because of how you receive communion? Was Jesus crucified based on, you know, what you believe about this doctrine or that doctrine or this teaching or this teacher, how you live this out or not? Like when it comes to practice, you know, like, and yes, the church has doctrines that we should learn and seek to, to profess, but the, the essential dogmas of the faith, the things that we have to believe, that we're bound to believe, that have to do with our salvation and our concept of God and our response to him, those are the, like, essential, unmoving, uncompromising things that, yes, we need to be unified in. If, if we keep those in the front of our mind, and we always are asking that question, like, how is this conversation or this debate or this issue getting us closer to heaven? And does this really matter in the grand scheme of the universe and my salvation? Is this worth fighting over? Because even, like, think about these conversations, these debates. Like, even if you win or gain the upper hand, will anyone as a result be closer to salvation? Like, ask that question anytime you're getting heated about a topic, a debate, even if it's not within the church. If it's just out in the world, you have some kind of conflict in the workplace, in your family, in a relationship— even if you argue about it and you win, you convince the other person, you gain the upper hand, or even if you prove them wrong, will anyone be closer to heaven? Or is there going to be scars and contention and bitterness because of the way that conversation took place? Are we going to fall into scrupulosity about that small issue and lose sight of the big main issue that we should be pursuing? All of this kind of spoke to me in terms of, you know, my, my theme for this year. I don't know if you pick a word for the year. I kind of picked a phrase. And my word is be present, or my phrase is be present and notice. Be present and notice. And that word notice has been coming up a lot. As I was kind of leading up to the new year, the word present was coming up a lot. And that's been my word, you know, before, uh, something to focus on. So it was kind of like the Lord was saying like to me, Matt, you really still need to do some work in this area. But then as the new year kind of began, this word notice was like, okay, now that you're seeking to be present, like notice, notice that, notice that, that glimmer in the eye of your child, notice this moment, notice the, the rarity of this friendship, 
take a moment and notice like the beauty of what was just said or just experienced. And it's just, I don't know, it fills me with this sense of like hope and wonder. Um, and, and if someone has no expectation for the future, they cannot have hope. And if we get caught up in these issues and we get into this mentality that like the world is falling apart, the church isn't where it's supposed to be, the leadership is failing, like we're not in agreement, you know, Twitter, Catholic Twitter is a hellscape, you know, whatever it is, uh, it can be very easy to lose heart and not have hope, to fall into despair or really have serious difficulties with your faith by internalizing that stuff. And so I, I just want to return you to to a, a verse or two to help you continue have hope in whatever season you're in right now. And the first one of these, like you've probably seen this like stitched on a pillow, but I want to give you some context. So the, the, the main verse you probably know is Jeremiah 29, 11. And that says, for I know well the plans I have for you, plans for your welfare and not for woe, so as to give you a future full of hope. Okay, that's, you know, a, a rendition of it. I know well the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for your, your welfare, not for woe, to have a future filled with hope. And we think that, we, we hear that and we're like, oh, that's encouraging, that's super nice. But we don't read the verses around it. And what's happening at this time is Jeremiah is prophesying to a people who have been taken into exile in Babylon. Their entire home is being destroyed in Jerusalem. They're being carted off in different waves of enslavement and captivity in Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq, all the way from Israel. Their only connection to God, the temple, is totally gone, totally destroyed, disconnected from them. They're completely destitute. And here's what Jeremiah says right before this. He says, thus says the Lord, only after 70 years have elapsed for Babylon will I deal with you and fulfill for you my promise to bring you back to this place. That's the verse right before this. He, he basically says, you think it's bad? Well, you're going to be in exile for 70 years until I bring you back here. And then he says, for I know well the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for your welfare, not for your woes, so as to give you a future full of hope. And believe me, if I were listening to that at that time, I would have been like, dude, I'm calling BS on this. Like, no way. Is, how is this hopeful to be here stuck in captivity, disconnected from God and, our, and the promised land and the covenant of, with God like for 70 years? I'm going to die before I see the homeland. But if you listen to what Jeremiah is saying here, he's saying, keep your eye on the future. Keep your eye on hope. Keep your eye on what matters. All of this will have some kind of eternal consequence and significance later on. And it's all leading to and perfecting you toward where I am seeking to lead you. Because I know well the plans I have in mind for you. Plans for your welfare and not for your woe to give you a future full of hope. And it continues. He says, when you call me and come and pray to me, I will listen to you. When you look for me, you will find me. Yes, when you seek me with all your heart, I will let you find me, says the Lord, and I will change your lot. I will gather you together from all the nations and all the places to which I have banished you, says the Lord, and bring you back to the place from which I have exiled you. you I am still with you, even in the midst of this season, even in the midst of this difficulty. And so whatever that is, maybe it's a moment of intense suffering in your life, intense doubt, difficulty in your faith where you feel alone, abandoned, like nobody understands. Maybe you're having huge financial difficulties right now. Maybe you're suffering physically tremendously with an ailment that you just don't see a way out of. And it's just so like endless with all the doctor appointments and all of the empty promises and all the medications. And it seems like it's just this endless, endless hill that you're trying to climb to get back to some level of health. 
Maybe it's financial difficulty that you just, the bills keep piling up and you were breaking even before and you don't even know what happened. Like all of a sudden there's just, there's this huge mountain that seems insurmountable. I don't know what it is for you. But what I do know is that when we keep our eyes on hope and on the right thing, the essential things, that Jesus loves us, he desires us to be united in mind and in purpose and to not worry about the trivial things of life, the little debates, the little difficulties, the sufferings, even the big sufferings, physical, spiritual, financial, emotional, whatever it might be, to set those things aside for a moment and be reminded that we can have hope in the Lord, in the Lord because he's looking so far out. He's playing such a long game. He knows the plans he has in mind for us and their plans for our welfare, not for our woe so that he can give us a future of hope. All of this is working towards something beautiful. And so I want to leave you with a mantra, a repeated verse, something you can memorize, commit to memory in these moments of doubt and difficulty, in these moments where you're getting heated in debate, or there's issues that are driving you nuts, or whatever it might be. And that's Romans 12.12. Paul writes, Rejoice in hope, endure in affliction, persevere in prayer. What a mission statement to go into this year having, to go into difficult times, into difficult conversations, debates, frustrations, whatever it is, to rejoice in hope, remember why we have hope, what's essential, endure in affliction, know that God has plans for us, and persevere in prayer. Because as he says, when we call him and come and pray to him, he will listen to us. When we look for him, we will find him. Yes, when we seek him with all our heart, he will let us find him. He will let you find him. When you call him, when you go and pray to him, he will listen to you. When you look for God, you will find him. Yes, when you seek him with all your heart, he will let you find him and he will change your lot. My brothers and sisters, if that can't give you hope, I don't know what will. Because God loves you that much that no matter the difficulty, no matter the brokenness of the fallen world because of sin that life throws your way, God will use all of it to bring about your greatest possible good. And he's always working for your hope, for heaven, so that you can spend eternal life with him. So keep your eyes on that essential thing that in every conversation, every choice, every debate, every word, action, and thought, if that is at the front of your mind, the gift of salvation, does this matter more than that? Does this lead me closer to that or stand in the way of it? It will make everything so much clearer. I pray that is a benefit to you. I'm praying for you. Please continue to pray for me. And until next time, I will see you in the Eucharist. God bless you.